Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For me, it's always been like, first, who are you? Who, who, who am I first? I have to know who I am first to know how to navigate this thing. Because if, I, if, if I'm navigating and I'm becoming something, if I become something that I'm not supposed to become, then I'm in the wrong place, whether I made it in other people's eyes or not. Hey, guys. Um, you know, I wanted to start the episode with a separate segment in honor of Chadwick Boseman an incredible actor and performer that we lost this weekend. Y'all know that usually my episodes are a lot of bullshit, a lot of pop culture mess and drama, so it didn't feel right to lump him in with all of that. I don't really have anything particularly eloquent to say. I would never be able to do him justice, uh, but it is a very tragic situation that has affected people all over the world and even though I try to keep things moderately light on here it just felt weird to it felt like it would be a glaring omission to not talk about him at all but what can I really say that like I said would be doing him justice I from a personal stance and from my perspective I think for the black people that listen to this podcast and maybe I'm sure a lot of white people were witness to it. The release of black Panther was such an incredible moment for black people. And even like just the beginning of it, finding out like, I don't watch superhero movies. You guys, the last, before I saw black Panther, the last one I saw was a dark Knight with Heath Ledger And before that, I'm talking like Michael Keaton's Batman era. So my experience with the Marvel comic universe or MCU, whatever it's called, minimal. However, I remember when people found out that the next movie was coming out was going to be Black Panther and just how excited everyone was, the rollout of finding who was going to be in the cast who was going to be the director was just such a moment for black culture. And that sounds weird to say, does it? I think it kind of does, but I think we, the reason why it was such a win is because 
and I, I tweeted about this a little bit, is because it was representation that we're not accustomed to and that it was just incredible. Most of the representation that you see in a majority black film centers around black suffering, the evils of white supremacy, um, you know, Sandra Bullock coming to save a large black child, those sorts of things, you know, and to see a story that involved these fully fleshed out, incredibly well acted characters who were representing us in a way, even though it was like a fantasy superhero movie, it was in a, the ability to see something that we rarely see in black movies where we're celebrated and where we're shown in the way that we see each other and ourselves and not the way we're treated out in the world. Right. So it was just such an incredible thing to see these women who were strong and who were incredibly smart and who were funny, just like these brilliant, gorgeous people. It was incredible to see adversity, not at the hands of white people, (laughs) you know, it was incredible to see our stories and the parallels of, you know, what goes on in the real world without it being this like sob story. It was just an incredible moment. And to think back about like how important that was, how many people bought multiple tickets, even if they weren't going to go or weren't able to go to the movies, how many people bought out theaters for children to go see the movie, how important it was to see those children see somebody who looks like them in these positions of being like in power superheroes that aren't Spider-Man and Batman and, you know, Superman, people that don't look like them. It, It was an incredible example of representation And obviously with, excuse me, Chadwick being the titular character, it's a real loss and it's a real, really sad thing. He's, you know, I would encourage you guys to watch his other films. Um, He did 42, a Jackie Robinson movie. Um, He did In the Five Bloods which I believe is still on Netflix. It's a Spike Lee movie. Um, 21 Bridges just came out. He just finished filming another movie like two weeks ago. And I'm sure that's going to be an incredible thing to watch. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really incredible. And I've heard a lot of people, um, rightfully bring up the point of how we approach people who are sick, people who are 
um, you know, people who are disabled in a myriad ways of how we treat people, of how we treat people who are suffering and we have no idea. You know, there were pictures that came out of him months ago where he was incredibly thin and a video that came out and people were being really, you know, cracking jokes and being shady and, um, you know, it really puts into perspective how we never know what people are really going through. And there was also another conversation that I thought was very interesting and, and important about um, people romanticizing those with disabilities and to not necessarily put him on a pedestal for continuing to film despite the fact that he was ill for different reasons of like, you know, maybe he had access to things that other people don't and, you know, illness and cancer manifests itself very differently. You know, everybody is different. Every body is different. And, you know, to congratulate, not congratulate, but like, it's important to note that he was able to do these things despite the fact that he was had to have been suffering countless surgeries, chemotherapy, which absolutely takes it out of you. The fact that he was able to create so many movies and do them so beautifully, but to also understand that like, that's not everybody's path and that's okay. You know, I am very grateful for all the work that he gave us all the art and I just hope that he was able to live out the last of his days peacefully and with as little pain as possible. I hope his family was able and will be able to heal from this and yeah, what is just an incredible loss. So rest in peace to you, Chadwick Boseman. And with that, we'll move on to the mess. get into it y'all know that i am a dorinda medley apologist (sighs) and to find out that she was cruelly ripped away from us from roni is something that i've really had to process and work through here (sighs) i'm confusion okay i'm confusion Dorinda has given us so much and yet she has had one bad season and she's gone and then we're stuck with Ramona Singer? Pardon me? What is happening? So there were, there have been conflicting reports as to why Dorinda was let go. 
people were saying that she was fired. People were saying that she chose to leave of her own accord. People have been saying that it was a mutual decision between both Dorinda and Bravo. This is something that they had been um, talking about for quite some time. And they it was just a mutual decision, right? I heard initially before the announcement dropped that she was fired. Whether that that could have been lost in translation of it being a mutual decision because Bravo brought up the subject, I am not sure. But that's the tea that I heard. Um, I'm upset. <laughs> I'm upset that we're going to have to be stuck with Ramona. I, it doesn't make sense. Make it make sense to me. Wh- why? Why? I'm like pissed. <laughs> what does this look like for the future of Roni? I, I don't know. There have also been conversations that perhaps um, this is a very temporary thing that Bravo production is uh, thinking that they made a mistake. Je agree. And that perhaps, you know, this would just be like a temporary thing. I think that if this is going to be like a Luann style season, what, five or six that she got let go in the big chop. Um, and she comes back as like a friend of, and then a full-time housewife. I'm fine with that. It's fair to say that Dorinda has been going through it this season in a way that is very dark and hard to contend with, particularly because if you see her on social media, she doesn't seem to have any sort of regrets. (laughs) there's a real doubling down on her bullying of Tinsley and I don't use the term bullying lightly I think she bullied Tinsley very unnecessarily Uh, and just the fact that she would lash out and be very angry Um, I I feel for her and maybe it was right for her to take a step back and to pause and regroup. Y'all, what the fuck are we going to do without the Berkshires? The Berkshires was the other housewife. And without that content, without all of the mess, drama, fights, drunken behavior, naked, Sonia, what do we have? The Berkshires is a cornerstone of Real Housewives of New York. And I don't know what they're going to be doing without it. Like, what, is everybody going to go to Ramona's living room? Is that what we're dealing with? Are we going to have more parties of her? Like, are we going to go to her Hamptons house again? Because, okay, yeah, that was a great episode of Leah, you know, throwing those tiki torches in the name of white supremacy. Loved it. (laughs) But I just... The idea of Ramona taking the helm as she tried to do this season, but like fully taking the lead without Dorinda is, I don't know. It's kind of like a Beverly Hills situation in which they really, well, no, it's not like Beverly Hills because I I think with Beverly Hills, as we're seeing, there's somebody who has to be somebody that is divisive and people really like that the rest of the cast members want to take down LVP Denise Richards this season, the list goes on, right? 
with Roni and the beauty of the of Real Housewives of New York is that it really benefits from the cast members. It, it's a group show. Like you could argue that Bethany is the star of Real Housewives of New York, but Bethany, you know, maybe she was like the leader in a way, but not really. And without her, we're perfectly fine. And how, how much of a leader can you be if nobody really misses you that much? You know, I, I'm just very upset. (laughs) I need therapy. Um, there's also been an interesting story with respect to Dorinda's apartment. Page Six announced that Dorinda had been living in a $10,000 a month apartment for free. The Oriana in Sutton Place. She had been living there for free in exchange for promoting it. Which is why I was wondering, like, why are they telling everybody where she lives? Because they don't typically do that, right? So in 2017... Uh, she signed a contract to live in the three-bedroom apartment in return, like I said, for promoting it. Um, at the time that she signed it, which is three years ago, the apartments were renting for about 10000 a month, right? Um, and so she put up her apartment for rent and was that was being for rent for about just under 10000 a month. So she was basically making 10 that 10 grand a month renting out her place and living somewhere else for free so you know her team came up with ways to feature the apartment having parties there and filming there that was also the apartment that um riley uh Candy's daughter, when she was living in New York one summer, she also lived in the Oriana. So, obviously, now that Dorinda is off the show, it could potentially call that into question. Potentially put her back in her old apartment, right? So I wonder, really, now that she's not on the show and now that it can't be featured on the show, is she going to be able to keep that apartment? I don't know. The idea of of people getting free apartments in New York, rich people getting free apartments in New York is actually, like, truly disgusting. (laughs) Now that I'm really thinking about it and letting that sink in, like, there are so many houseless people and housing insecure people in the city. (sighs) Ten grand a month. Mm. They also gave out deals to Lindsay Lohan and Serena Williams. And, okay, maybe one of those is a fair point, but Serena Williams certainly can afford to live in her own place. So, next in the mess is all of this trash that happened with Bella Thorne and OnlyFans. So, Here's the deal of what happened for people who don't know, because it's a little bit confusing. Last week, Bellathorn signed announced that she had signed up for an OnlyFans account and she was going to be creating content. Within 24 hours, she made a million dollars. I think it is now up to two million as of like a few days ago. 
So serious, serious money. If you guys know, um, Caroline Calloway also did this and it sparked a huge debate about the responsibility of people who have platforms in their real lives and in their online lives, people who have clout, people who are celebrities, like what is the responsibility of celebrities with respect to using sites that are predominantly for sex workers? Is it responsible? Is it rude? Is it screwing them over? And in this case, it screwed them over big time. So, what happened was, is there, you can have, like, pay-per-view content. And the maximum amount that you could charge for that content was $200. So, what Beth, Bethany, what um, Bella did was say, oh, I'm going to be releasing these three pictures. Charge people $200. They're going to be nudes. So, when people, all these people signed up. And when the subscribers went to look at it, they were lingerie pics. So OnlyFans has a policy that if people are not given the content that they were delivered, if they were scammed, if they were duped in whatever way, they can request a refund. So obviously a fuck ton of people sign up for this content. They find out that they were not delivered the content that they um, were told that they were going to, and then this huge wave of people go to the website to request refunds. Obviously, this is like not a great thing for OnlyFans, and so they crack down and implement changes like immediately. So, in order to play all these people back, they then change their policy to have pay per view content charge a maximum of $50. Um, you can only tip people a maximum of $100. And all the money that you make on OnlyFans goes went from, like the payout length went from 7 days to 30 days. So, imagine this. You're charging... Obviously, like, A, you're going to be taxed. Imagine going to, like... If I don't, I think a lot of most people don't charge like top dollar for their content, $200, but imagine going from charging $200 and then getting whatever taxes taken out of that to charging $50 and getting whatever taxes taken out of that. So you're now going from like three figures to a low two figures, right? Fucked up. And imagine finding out that your pay cycle is gone from seven days to 30. This is incredibly, incredibly harmful to the people who genuinely need this money, of which Bella Thorne is for sure not one of those people, right? So she did all this bullshit in the name of making a movie. That She's alleging that she was making a movie about OnlyFans. And has just now screwed over a an entire community of sex workers, right? So, um, so here's where the second part comes in. Another layer to this fucked up onion, right? So, Bella said that she joined the platform in order to do research 
for this movie that she was making with director Sean Baker. He has directed movies like The Florida Project, Tangerine, like really interesting movies, great films, right? So she said her goal was like to look into what are the ins and outs? What does a platform like this do to its users? What is the connective material between your life and your life inside the world of OnlyFans? How it can change your life for the worse or the better? How far are you willing to go and how far do you want to go? You can be me or this talented girl from Montana and OnlyFans could change your life if you want it to, of course. So she said she's planning on acting in the film and that it was going to be written director and directed by Sean Baker. It was basically, they're saying, once all this bullshit happened, he said, like, I'm out. He's completely denied that he's doing it, that he has no interest in um, hurting the sex worker community, and that from now on, basically, they just had a call about it. She basically said, like, oh, we're going to be working on it, and that he advised her team to actually consult with sex workers and address the way that she went about this as so as not to work hurt the sex work industry. <sighs> this bitch done fucked up. <laughs> this is like such a messed up thing. I can't even believe that she would think that she would ever have any perspective on this and the effects of it when you're a rich person who doesn't need this money and does not rely on this money how you could ever think that you could be the star of a movie, a movie and have perspective. Like this isn't like, I don't know, like Sandra Bullock, not Sandra Bullock. Who's the one with the, the chin? Hillary Swank doing, um, boxing lessons for like three weeks and then filming Million Dollar Baby. This is a completely different thing. I said the one with the jaw, didn't I? That was fucked up. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean. Um, but you, why she would think that this was a smart thing. Bella Thorne, if we're going to be honest, like, does a whole slew of fucked up things. And most people just don't pay attention to her because, like, frankly, she looks smelly. And it's like, you can't really take her that seriously. But this was a big, big problem. She has since apologized for it, but mm, I'm not really picking up what she's putting down because I just don't know why she thought this would be a smart idea to begin with. Anyway, y'all let me know what you think. Sound off below in the comments when I post it. Um, with that, I just have like a very short, this is a short episode, y'all. Sorry. <laughs> very short and quick recap of Love After Lockup coming up next so thank you guys so much for listening i met dylan at this party at his apartment one of my friends was really close with dylan i went to the bathroom and he was in the shower and he was just like what the he opened the curtain and peeked his head out and it was me he was sexy and strong and it's like you know you just like Oof. hey y'all welcome to love after lockup recap Oof. I know I say this at the top of every recap, but wow. Wow. <laughs> Let's start off with Jessica and Maurice. When we saw them last week, Jessica was driving her man in a very, like, 
Bonnie and Clyde style across the border from California to Nevada. And it was a bit of a cliffhanger as to whether or not she was actually going to do it because she was pretty nervous about taking him out of California because he's still on parole and he's got two strikes against him. And if he gets another one, that's 20 to life. (sighs) These people are true idiots. So they get to the border, they get to the sign, says, welcome to Nevada. They pull off to the side of the road and Murray says like he feels concerned, but you know what? That concern lasts about 10 seconds before he pisses on the California border and they take off to their house. Great. They get there and he's really excited about what he calls the fly wall color and the thick ass carpet. Um, he loves his new home. He takes a swig out of a warm bottle of Belvedere, it looked like. And yeah, he's having a great time. They get into the shower. <sighs> Jesus, take the wheel. And send them back to California, please, before you get caught violating your parole, dumbass. They're going to meet his parents, who actually, I thought they knew that he was violating his parole by being in Nevada, but turns out they don't. I wonder how that's going to go when they do find out. Um, on the way there, <laughs> Maurice is in his do-rag, which she asks him to take off. And she's like, also, can you maybe not mention that you're going to, you're currently violating your parole? Oh, Lord. Maurice asks her if, how her parents is going to feel about her bringing a black man to their home. And she's like, well, I don't think it's going to be a problem, but I feel like I know she's younger than I think she is. Like she looks like hard 45, but I know she's probably like 28 to 30. She's much younger than she claims she is. Um, but it seems like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a white person, but it feels like over the age of 18, I'll even give you 25. You should probably know how your parents would feel about interracial relationships, particularly if you're in one, right? (laughs) It seems like something you should know. And I think she does know, and she doesn't really want to tell him about it. Um, She says that she's just anxious and hopeful that their concerns about Maurice begin and end at the fact that he is a former inmate and it has nothing to do with his skin color. Mm. Girl, I don't know. Let's move on to Chevelle and Quaylon. So they're at the house and Quaylon's older sister and his mom come over because his sister has not seen him in 12 years since he went to jail and they take him out to go shopping. But Chevelle's like, please come back at three because she is hosting a party for him in which his side of the family and her side of the family are finally going to meet. So for some reason, even though we've seen Quaylon's mom and Chevelle get along, I mean, they had like a difficult conversation about like, yeah, he both lied to us about where he wanted to live. And now he's basically on Chevelle's side and going to be staying in Kansas City instead of Houston, where his mom lives. But other than that, we haven't seen any drama between them. So when she like completely flips flips the script and is like, 
oh, Kaylin's mom is bossy and she's always in everybody's business. Shout out to me. Um, it's weird. I don't really understand where all this hostility came from. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know... When it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all, but when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. Why are they not, why is she not hostile towards Quaylon for lying to her about where he was going to live? Both of them, both of them should be mad at him about that, frankly. So Quaylon goes shopping and his sister is like, you know, I also want you to move down to Houston. I really don't think this is a good idea for you to be staying in KC. And she thinks that he's only staying there because Chevelle can take care of him financially and this is like a starter life for him. And he, she doesn't think that he has any real love for her at all. He's just like taking advantage of a good situation. Do I disagree? I don't know. I mean, he seems to really like her. I don't really seen, I've never seen any indication that he isn't into her. He seems very much into her, but maybe you would be very much into anybody who, you know, you, uh, Emptied your baby better in two after 12 years. Sorry. Um, let's move on. Chevelle and her cousin, Demark take a break from decorating to go to the parking car lot. And Demark is basically like her brother. He's very protective of her, very protective of the guys that Chevelle brings into her life and dates. By the way, um, y'all remember that Chevelle was a rapper, right? She apparently went by the name of Yellowbone. So if you guys want to check out any of her music, check it out. 
Um, I'm not going to be doing it just for my spirit, but I encourage everybody else to do so. Uh, so he, she, Chevelle bought him a truck, $5,000 F-150. D-Mark is livid. He starts screaming. He starts banging on the truck, on the back of the truck. And is like, I cannot believe that you would spend this kind of money on a guy that you barely know. And Chevelle keeps giving these like half-ass excuses of like, well, I do know him because we talk all the time on the phone. And, you know, now it's like we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Like, girl, Quaylon's been out of jail for 48 to 60 hours. Like, this is not money that I would be dropping on anybody. I don't think Chevelle has $5,000 to just spend frivolously. I could be wrong, but I I don't know, y'all. D-Mark says he's just going to use this as a getaway car. (laughs) And he just thinks it's gullible as fuck to be spending $5,000. He's like, it's not even about the car. It's about the amount of money. And I just think he's going to completely take advantage of her. I, and he's like, I'm just so pissed that she would do this. I don't even know if I want to meet this dude at this point. We'll see. I mean, I think that's a little bit unfair. Because ultimately it was Chevelle's decision. It wasn't like he coaxed her into buying her himself a car. At why you would be mad at him instead of the person who put the money up is beyond me. But whatever. Um, so let's move on to Christiana and John. John goes and picks up Christiana from the halfway house after her first night. He brings her flowers and it's like actually a pretty decent pink dozen roses but she can't have them because they're not allowed to have flowers at the halfway house so he's like okay we'll drop them off you know give them to your mom so he's dropping her off to go see her mom they have not seen each other in years and she was not raised by her father her mom was a single mom they were very close but christiana has basically been in and out of the system for half of her life so they meet up hug each other crying it's very emotional then they go and sit down with each other and christiana's like how was your meeting with john tammy's like "Mm, he's all right really surprised you two's got married (laughs) i love their voices they're like a frog on 11 and i i love it christiana says like she's really grateful to john and to be out but this is kind of like a critical point for her every time she goes to the halfway house she ends up meeting with the same people who got her back into jail in the first place but christiana has been clean for eight months at this point and she and tammy are like i hope this time is different for you but only time will tell it kind of depends on her Christiana says that she's really confident that it's going to work because she's never really had a support system like John on the outside. So, uh, girl, I don't know. So moving on to Scott and Lindsay, we open up in the scene with them of Scott ironing his shirt on a dirty countertop in the kitchen. So unfortunately, we're exposed to this man with his blouse off. And aside from the dirty counter, like, 
I just feel very upset because I've had very specific fantasies about Chris Evans doing similar things in my kitchen and now like that's completely ruined so thanks a lot Ugh, he has not spoken to Lindsay in a week but she just so happens to call this is all very weird to me because later on she says that she only uh gets one phone call a month so the fact that she happened to call when oh they can email each other so maybe he told her like please give me a call the cameras are gonna okay maybe that's right so she calls while he's filming and he films this whole scene with his shirt off good god um so she says like my halfway house got pulled because the tea is she was in the shoe she was in solitary confinement because she got into a fight with some other inmates. This was not supposed to mess up her ability to get into the halfway house at all. Everything was supposed to be fine. So once it was time for her ejection date or whatever you call it, (laughs) uh, she's waiting and according to her, the... One of the guards said that she got an attitude with her, told another person at the jail, and they revoked her halfway house privileges. I don't know. She... Okay, so like I said, apparently she's only allowed one call a month, so she couldn't let him know at the time. And now she has no idea when she has the chance to be released again. I don't know anything about the prison system... But this sounds like a crock of shit to me. And correct me if I'm wrong. Like, if y'all know, let me know. This sounds like some straight up bullshit. This sounds like Lindsay's scamming again. Like, she did something. Like, oh, the director or the guard said that I was being smart with her, but I wasn't. And, you know, next time I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm laying low and that I'm doing the right thing. But she swears on the down that she did nothing. Uh, so then, that was basically the end of their scene. But we did get a little interstitial. And Lindsay explains to us how she does her makeup. Because we see her in these like interviews from jail. And she has this like blue eyeshadow mascara, lip gloss, the whole thing. So she explains that it's very DIY, very DIY operation that she gets her color. So for the eyeshadow, blush, whatever, she gets her color from the magazines. By that I mean she takes, um, deodorant and then I'm sorry I'm getting so many what is happening here alerts on my phone um I'm getting no sorry so she takes deodorant from her you know case rubs deodorant on the magazine so it transfers and then she can the color transfers and so she makes eyeshadow out of that from there 
She uses mascara from ink and toothpaste. And she uses a pencil to do her eyeliner. She is very proud of herself and says, you know, everybody says that, I don't know I'm doing a southern accent. Everybody says that you're going to get like poisoning from the eyeliner, but I never have. My eyes are just fine. She is like, I'm a bad bitch. I, she didn't reveal any of the secrets about the lip gloss. I imagine that's probably just Vaseline. Um, but yeah, interesting. Lizzie from the first couple seasons kind of hipped us to the game on that. I think with the toothpaste mascara situation, but I think she used to shave, like very lightly shave the magazines and get the color from that and use that for like blush and stuff. Very interesting. Uh, Lindsay says that like, I put on makeup every day. It makes me feel normal. It makes me feel comfortable. It's like a good routine for me. And I, I, that makes sense. When you're stripped of like all normalcy in there, I, yeah, I mean, you got to get it, get it where you can, you know, get it where you can. So let's move on to a new couple. We are what? Seven episodes in. And being introduced to a new couple. This show is so chaotic. <laughs> so we meet Heather, a 33-year-old model from Chicago. And Dylan, her boyfriend, is 30 and he is in jail. He has been in jail for the past five years on counts of residential burglary and possession of ecstasy. Let's go back to Heather being a model. Mm. People like to throw around the freight, the term model, and that's very generous. I don't know how much, like, gum and dental health factors into the ability to be a model, but just based on what I saw, I just question how successful of a model she can be. Let me just put it that way. Other than that, like, Heather has the perfect sort of, like, whirling dervish chaotic energy that is perfect for this show. We're introduced to this couple by Heather walking into a sex store, and she's on speakerphone with Dylan, talking about G-strings, and Dylan says, the only thing more precious than a G-string is what's underneath. Heather seems to be under the impression that this is a romantic thing to say. Mm, I don't think I've ever read that in a Nicholas Sparks book, but maybe there's something I'm missing. It's a little Nicholas Sparks and a little E.L. James. Is that the one who wrote Fifty Shades? Yeah, I think so. Um, Heather says that she has no problem falling in love, but it's like the keeping people that's the issue. Let's just walk through what Heather's giving us visually. She has a pixie cut that is fire engine red. Heather's a woman who wears a pink waffle knit off the sweater shoulder with gray spandex pants. Uh, Heather's also a girl who will show the employee of the sex shop her vibrating bullet that she keeps in 
on her just in case. Like she, I, I keep that motherfucking thing on me at all times. <laughs> so <laughs> she tells us that she met Dylan at a house party. <laughs> when it was his house he was in the shower and she had to go to the bathroom so she ends up using the bathroom that he's actively taking a shower in he ends up pulling the shower curtain like who the fuck is pissing while i'm taking a shower and they locked eyes and it was love at first sight (laughs) y'all see what i'm saying here What the fuck? She's, like I said, from Chicago. And she's going to Joliet to pick up her man. As somebody who was born in Illinois, this is, like, true. Like, this is messy. (laughs) Just Midwestern mess through and through. For y'all, those of you who don't know, Joliet is, like, home to basically like the biggest prison probably one of the bigger prisons in the country but definitely the biggest one in illinois so to say that you're going to Joliet, like you can just say like oh i'm going to Joliet to pick up so and so and people will tend to know what you're talking about um so <laughs> dylan's dumbass is in jail because he sold ecstasy to a cop but he also has a pretty long rap sheet and we're treated to just a gallery of pictures a whole collage of pictures i counted 13 mugshots of various you know he is giving us like big afro one point uh a little like a short cut in the next one we just see the various stages of him going from like clean cut military boy to like jamiroquai I don't really know where Dylan stands racially. I don't understand what his background is, but I, it seems like there's a mixture happening, but he presents as white depending on how long his hair is. Um, so <laughs> they never have had sex because he got locked up pretty much immediately after they met each other. Um, so she is picking out, He's going to be out of the jail like the next day or the next couple days. So she is trying on some lingerie. And I actually have to say, like, she looked pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Like, it fit well. Um, she, <laughs> the shopkeeper's like, yeah, you look great. Like, go ahead, girl. So, in a talking head, Heather says, you know, my plan for when he gets out is I'm going to give him a bath. And then I'm going to suck his dick and then I'm going to cook food for him. And this is the moment where Heather chooses to be shy and embarrassed. Not the time where she pulled out that little piece of metal that she rubs her clit against. Now. Suddenly now. The idea (laughs) of giving him a bath is what embarrassed her. And this, I love it. I think next week is a two-hour mid-season finale. You know, we're we're in unprecedented times where we're having to stretch out our content. So I'm very much looking forward to what we see from Heather. I'm I'm sad that we have, uh, you know, we've we've only been introduced to her now. But I, I'm loving what she's giving, and I'm looking forward to what she brings us moving forward.
in the preview, it looked like we might actually see Lindsay. And it appears that Lindsay pops the fuck off and yells at Scott. Happy for that. <laughs> and yeah, so many more things. A fight between Chevelle and Quaylon. I just can't wait, y'all. All right. I think that'll be it for the week. I'll catch you guys in a couple days if you watch 90 Day Fiance. And if not, catch you later. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Love you. Bye. Thank God you said it's a good looking woman because goddamn, she can't dress at all. I'm ashamed to be seen with her sometime, to be honest. I don't know what she's going to wear. I never heard it talked about Giselle's clothes. You have an exception. Okay, so time. once again, I've lied and I'm going to throw in a Real Housewives of Potomac recap in. Thank you and sorry. <laughs> Y'all, I think I figured out why Potomac is so great. It's in the little things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I always have to take it back to, you know, Beverly Hills or even Orange County where they rely on these big, highly dramatic, high voltage moments, but they don't ever really think about the small parts. So even if we're just doing like a packing segment on Potomac, it's the little things that we get from them that are just so funny. The little moments, the little like peanut gallery, especially from Giselle comments that she makes, they're just so good and so funny. And it really makes, even if something, it makes like when something dramatic happens, it makes it that much more exciting. So this episode, I think was a perfect example of that and why Potomac reigns supreme among the housewives pantheon. Um, so we start off the episode with Candace and Chris. She is house hunting online and talking about how hard it is. And, you know, like we had a flashback to her looking at a $5.5 million house, uh, last season, which is laughable. Now she's being a little bit more reasonable by looking at something that I think was like 1.6, uh, a little, you know, more modern, nice, a little bit more attainable, if we will. <laughs> she is, you know, part of her storyline is the fact that she is now kind of thinking about having children more seriously and, you know, moving to a new home would be part of that bigger space for a baby. She's kind of on the fence because uh, Monique invited all the girls to her lake house and she doesn't really know if she wants to go because she and Monique are not in the best place. Uh, last week at the party at um, <laughs> Karen's Beyonce, uh, not really integrating Ray into it, even though it's a housewarming party for the both of them party. Uh, they, she had to sit down with Giselle and they were talking about, you know, just the conflict that they've had with each other, the jabs that they made back and forth to one another. Candace apologized, but Giselle was just like, yeah, okay. Didn't really accept it. So she doesn't really know if she wants to go. Also, she's not on great terms with Monique right now. Like, even worse. But Chris says, you really should go. Even if you're not in a great place with Monique, you are in a great place or a pretty good place with all the other women. So you can have a perfectly good time. And also, you know, if you don't film the scene, you're not going to get paid. So pack up, lady. <laughs> Um, so then they have the packing scene and all the girls are, you know, like Robin's playing with her son and putting him in the suitcase and, 
just all these little moments that are so cute. And <laughs> Giselle calls uh, Robin, not our Robin, but Robin, who I guess is Jamal's secretary, to kind of figure out what, when she can see him, what his schedule's like. Uh, you know, he lives in Atlanta and they don't really get to see each other much. So then we get Ashley packing, and this is like the start of mess, right? Here we go again. Round the circle. The merry-go-round. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> the merry-go-round of Michael Darby cheating and being messy. It's already begun. So she's packing for the wedding and Michael's like insistent that little Michael the baby goes to the lake house with her he's like oh a baby shouldn't be away from their I can't do an accent (laughs) a baby shouldn't be away from their their mom so long three days is too long and you are gonna miss the baby like really kind of like guilting her and sort of gaslighting her into the situation of like you really should be with the baby you know Not because I'm going to be going off and doing anything, but I just think you're going to miss him. He's really going to miss you. So you really kind of like have to take him. Take him. Are you taking him? Have you packed up his stuff? You should take him. I think you should take him. You are going to take him because I'm not going to care for him. And I'm going to be doing some other things, right? So he then, you know, to lay it on thick of the guilt, he then says like, oh, you're looking great, babe. And she's like, oh, you really seem to be an ass man these days. And I'm thinking like, um, we want to look into past charges and past claims that we've had with Michael. I think he's been an ass man for quite some time, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Monique is going through the whole list of what it takes to get ready. Part of her storyline this season is how, you know, big boy Chris is not really helping and she's solely responsible for the children last week they had a conversation with those weird wine glasses and he basically said like I've provided you with all the resources and funds to take care of the children you can use them at your discretion but I will not be interfering and helping any more than I need to I'm giving you the coin. If you want to hire a nanny, do it. But I'm not helping. Not really loving that, Chris. I don't love that. I don't love that you are actively divesting yourself from your children. And those children are so fucking cute. And you should be grateful. You should be grateful that you've been given the most adorable children on the housewives, for sure. And a great wife. And T'Challa. So much T'Challa in this episode. <laughs> oh my god, I, I can't wait to talk about him. So yeah, she's going back to talk about like, you know, I have to take the kids off to school, go there to the house, it's two hours away, I have to plan this, I have to, there are contractors involved, and you know, like a whole montage where we don't even hear what she says, and then by the time I go back to bed, it's like, you know, very late at night, so... She's like, I can't even shorten it. That's literally all that I've been having to do to take care of this house. So Karen and Giselle are going to be riding up to the beach house with her. And Giselle walks in and 
immediately backs up into a corner when she spots T'Challa. Uh, Karen arrives and says, you know, I'm happy we're going to be riding together. I'm actually surprised that uh, Giselle and Monique are friendly in that way that she would be tagging along with us. But listen, I hope that Giselle's fashion sense does not rub off on Monique. Like, thank God Giselle's a good looking woman because she can't dress at all. I'm ashamed to be seen with her sometimes, to be honest. I don't know what she's going to wear. I get a headache talking about it. Do you have like an Excedrin or a Tylenol? Like, <laughs> Karen is a true icon. Oh my gosh. Um, Giselle's going to be in the back sitting next to T'Challa. She wants to make sure that T'Challa will be, um, you know, adequately caged in. <laughs> if she's not feeling it. Before they get in the car... You know, part of another part of Monique's storyline and the storyline throughout the show is T'Challa's potty training journey. And before they get into the car, he just poops right in the driveway. <laughs> and Giselle and Karen both walk away like, no, no, I can't do this. I feel sick. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, we find out that Giselle is actually going to be leaving early because she is going to an award show for her book. We all remember that incredible scene of Giselle just barely being able to read the synopsis of this book. The book about her being a first lady in the church. <laughs> really, I need to know what award ceremony she went to for this, like, base. <laughs> like self-published grade book um the cover said it all we'll just say that it's it's you know if we don't get a, a memoir or an autobiography from the housewives we get these like very loosely this is clearly my life fiction um but i'm just switching out the names and ooh, okay um karen and Giselle start talking about Wendy and how Wendy's been kind of shady towards Karen and saying shady things and talking about her sex life with Ray. And Karen's like, you know what? I'm just going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I think she was probably nervous, meaning like she's just showing out for the show and I'm going to address it later. And she better come correct because I'm a ride or die chick and she does not want to be on my bad side. More on that later. <laughs> so they get to the house and Robin actually shows up on time. And we know that Robin is notoriously late. Like she didn't even, where did they go? The Bahamas? She missed her flight. This is how late Robin is to everything. She missed Candace's wedding ceremony. She didn't show up until uh, the reception. A notoriously, notoriously late. So then Candace shows up followed by Wendy. And then Ashley shows up and Wendy's like, I just had a baby. I pumped around the clock to make sure that she had breast milk because she's solely fed by my milk. And here Ashley is with her friend slash nanny. Why did I not get the luxury of having my baby here? So she's like really frustrated. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> They're sitting having drinks and talking in the kitchen. <laughs> Wendy says she's looking forward to getting to know everybody and T'Challa must have thought that she meant everybody including him because he's like oh bitch let's have a drink let me sip out of the champagne glass and he goes flying directly for Wendy Wendy is screaming bloody murder all the women are running out of the way Robin and Ashley and Candace are not Ashley, uh, Giselle and Candace are um, all like back to the kitchen. <laughs> Candace had a fork in her hand. Did y'all see that? <laughs> Candace stays ready with the cutlery in case anything happens. Like, you know what? She keeps that motherfucking thing on her. <laughs> it was not a knife this time. It was a fork. But you know what? Better than a spoon, just in case you need to spirit and african gray um <laughs> it's havoc everybody's like screaming <laughs> monique finally gets him um and then monique puts t'challa lifts the toilet seat up and puts t'challa on the bowl of the seat of the toilet to get him to poop <laughs> i mean you can't write this shit she is actually literally potty training this bird. I can't. I cannot with her. Oh my gosh. So everything calms down. They're, everybody's back in the kitchen. Candace has loosened her grip from that fork. T'Challa is safely in his cage. And Wendy and Ashley start getting into it about the baby. And the fact that Wendy couldn't bring her baby. And when he's talking about like, I made all these sacrifices to be here without the baby and you just get to bring your kid and you brought your nanny and Ashley's like, well, my husband has a business. I couldn't leave the baby. She's like, my husband is an attorney. Ashley's like, oh, my husband owns his business. And, you know, they just get going back and forth of like whose husband is more busy and why they couldn't, shouldn't have left their kid and how it wasn't feasible for Ashley and everybody's like whoa like Wendy's going really hard on Ashley for no reason like it's not her fault it's not her fault that you didn't bring your child so why you're going hard on her is like really not making sense Robin in a talking head says I don't know what Wendy's tripping about she's on her third kid 
and she's here like huffing and puffing about how she couldn't bring her baby. I have two kids and I can't even sometimes remember my, my second son's name, Carter. So why is she tripping about the third baby? <laughs> like, This is Ashley's first kid. Of course she's going to bring her kid. What's the deal with you? Um, it's worth noting that <laughs> production has decided to give T'Challa subtitles. <laughs> And every all the girls are like trying to have, you know, FaceTime and talk to their kids and their partners, but the Wi-Fi is you know, like they're out in the sticks. The Wi-Fi is not really working, the the connection's not really working. So Wendy goes into Monique's room to ask for the Wi-Fi password and um, Wendy and Monique have this conversation about bringing her baby and Monique's like, "Oh, if I had known that like if you had just asked or if you had expressed that you wanted to bring the child, it would not have been a problem at all. What's going on? And Wendy says, you know, I, it just took a lot for me to not bring her. I had to make a lot of sacrifices for that to happen. And so I was just a little bit frustrated when I saw that Ashley brought baby Michael. Wendy's like, I totally understand that. I get your frustration, but you didn't really express that very well. <laughs> And you're in a new group, so you maybe need to adjust to our dynamic here. So, <laughs> Wendy ends up walking out of the bedroom and Monique says, T'Challa, did you hear that? And T'Challa <laughs> goes, yeah, she's crazy. <laughs> Later, the girls are all getting ready for dinner. Monique is putting on her makeup. T'Challa's in the bathroom on the counter. He's got a like a highlighter stick in his talons and he's talking about yes I'm getting ready to <laughs> oh my god I love this show it's that time again you guys time for what the hell is Giselle wearing this episode we are introduced to a black leather skirt I don't know if maybe it was a skirt maybe it was shorts but it looked like a skirt to me um a black and mesh see-through ruffle shirt um pearls were hanging from the shirt and the ruffles and she has like a victorian style kind of like ruffle collar situation <sighs> the earrings were a lot i don't really even know how to describe them thank god her makeup and her hair was fine it, it it was still a lot of luck though Giselle Karen was right Karen earlier said everything that I've been thinking and saying that the internet's been going up for Potomac is top tier housewives but bottom tier for fashion like ooh, I have nightmares about Giselle's new house I really do um so she goes over Giselle and Robin are staying in the guest house. So Candace comes over to talk to Giselle again about their situation because she feels like it wasn't really resolved at the party. And she apologizes for being mean to Giselle and for coming at her and her $900,000 teardown cabin on Twitter. And she's genuinely seems to be apologetic. Giselle accepts it. And she's like, you know what? you're now invited to my wedding. I'm not having a wedding and 
not even engaged yet, but now you made it from no invite to now you're on team B. You're on list B for the wedding, my non-existent wedding. And she's still not engaged. So you, you got some time to make it to team A, Monique. Um, so then we go to dinner <laughs> and the ladies decide to do question time. These questions are incredible because they're completely shady, but also questions that we all want the answers to. We start off with Monique asking Candace about like, what was it like for you in school and growing up? And Candace says, you know, she went to a predominantly white school. There were very few black people. And Ashley's like, oh, okay. Is that why you decided to go into African-American studies when you went to college? She's like, yeah, absolutely. Giselle then says, is that why, is the fact that like you, there weren't many black people at your high school, is that why you got a nose job? <laughs> Candace is like, I, I got a nose job? Yeah, well, I thought that was common knowledge. Um, When would I have time to have gotten a nose job? We get a side-by-side of her from 2002, where clearly, I think they were trying to be shady, but it really didn't look like a nose job to me. It looked like, you know, people's noses change over time. Uh, so <laughs> Candace goes, well, I don't remember you calling me or supporting me after I got my note, my surgery. Did you? And Giselle's like, no, I guess I didn't. <laughs> um, then somebody asked Robin, are you honestly going to get married to Juan again? Like, do you think this is going to happen anytime soon? And Robin says, yeah, like we're on the path to that. I think it's going to happen. And Giselle's like, God, I just want to scream out like you're getting engaged. I know it. I know it's going to happen. We have the flashback of Juan and uh, Giselle at lunch and he's talking about the ring. And (laughs) then Karen says, Giselle, um, since Jamal cheated on you and you had other children behind your back, how do you feel about getting back together with him? And Giselle goes, I'm glad you asked. Not really, but it was 12 years ago. We've moved on and it's now about forgiveness. (laughs) Oh my God. Giselle then lobbies a question to Ashley. And she wants to know, Ashley, is your booty hole healed? And Ashley's like, no, it has not. Karen then says, well, I just want to know, like, is the booty hole vital to your relationship? How much is this being utilized with Michael? (laughs) And somebody asked Karen, do you have to use your booty hole? She goes, "Mm, my booty hole's retired. I don't have to do that anymore. I've put in the work. The shop's closed. (laughs) This is so funny. Um, Karen then confronts Wendy. She decides to confront Wendy about the things that she's been hearing. She's like, Giselle, I'm just going to put you out there. You're the one who told me this. So what's the deal? Why have you been talking behind my back? And we know from like the first episode that we saw Wendy in that she and just, and, um, oh my God, she and Karen, Wendy and Karen know each other. They work on the same committees with each other. Like they've been in the same circles. They've gone to the same events and she feels like every time 
she sees Karen out in the streets that Karen acts like she doesn't really know her, that she's very dismissive. We get a flash to the Denim and Diamonds party where Wendy says hi and Karen's like, oh, hi. And then immediately goes to talk to somebody else. Like, we also saw a talking head where Karen said that Wendy, she doesn't really feel Wendy, not really feeling her. So, um, she's like, what's the deal? Karen says, you know what? I hear you've been talking about me basically like you've been saying stuff about me and Ray and our sex life. So if you want to get to know me talking about what, what's in my panties is not the way to get that done. So do you have something to say to me? Like, do we need to talk this out? What's the deal? And in an interview, Wendy's like, Karen, we sit on the same board. Not only on are we on the same board, we're in the same subcommittee that's only comprised of five people. So you acting like you don't really know me doesn't make sense. I see you frequently. Wendy promises not to talk about her coochie anymore. <laughs> and they agree to have a one-on-one lunch with each other to get to, to know each other more. So then Ashley is upset with how Wendy came for her. And they all kind of figure out Wendy was really frustrated. Like I said before, she didn't handle the situation well. And everybody's like, okay, we totally understand that you were frustrated, but they we weren't privy to that when you just came for Ashley out of nowhere we didn't know where all this energy was coming from totally understandable that you feel frustrated and that you want to be with your kid but like you have to express yourself a little bit more so people understand why you're at 12 out of nowhere and again like it didn't need to be directed towards Ashley um so they're like okay well we get it are are you gonna apologize to Ashley and she's like no I'm not (laughs) and then everybody's confused again and Ashley's getting frustrated and Robin tries to diffuse the situation like okay don't even focus on Ashley what if this were me and you and you came for me like you wouldn't feel the need to apologize for how you went about that she's like no, not really. Not at all, actually. <laughs> and she's like, Ashley's like, okay, well, that's why you don't have any female friends. <laughs> Wendy goes, no, I have female friends. I just don't deal with fake bitches like you. Wendy says, they, she and Ashley go back and forth. <laughs> and then they, they, it's just like so funny. They keep going back and forth. Whitney says, I'm checking your ass to Ashley. And Ashley's like, well, you need to uncheck it. And Whitney keeps going, check, 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 check. <laughs> Ashley's calling her God with a win, Wendy. Oh, my God. And Wendy gets up and says, people like you don't get to call me Wendy. You call me Dr. Wendy. Okay? And we end on a to-be-continued out that they did preview last week that there were going to be some text messages that came up about one Michael Darby 
but I guess we're getting that next week. I cannot wait. <sighs> More drama with Michael. Baby Michael, take the wheel. All right, y'all. With that, that'll be the end of the episode. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Bye.